0: The following episode includes graphic scenes of murder and torture that some may find disturbing. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome to Unexplained Extra with me, Richard McLean Smith, where for the weeks in between episodes we look at stories and ideas that for one reason or other, didn't make it into the previous show, In last week's episode, An American Werewolf in America, we covered the intriguing tale of the Beast of Bray Road, a strange, apparent dog like humanoid that is said to stalk a quiet stretch of road just outside of Elkhorn in Wisconsin, USA. Linda Godfrey, who first brought the tale to the world, was reluctant to use the term werewolf to describe the supposed creature, since she considered it to be more of a cryptid than a human-wolf hybrid. The clue is in the name. The term werewolf in most languages is comprised of the cognate of man and wolf. Were is the old Teutonic for man, and wolf is, well, wolf. The Greek term lycanthropus, from which is derived the term lycanthropy, the psychiatric disorder in which an individual believes they are a wolf, is likewise taken from the greek words for wolf and man. Some argue that the notion of a werewolf was first explored in the ancient poem The Epic of Gilgamesh from 2100 BCE, in which the titular Gilgamesh spurns a woman after learning that she'd previously turned a lover into a wolf. However, generally speaking, the idea of the werewolf was born from much darker beginnings. Much of it to do with cannibalism. From ancient Greek mythology comes the story of Lycaon, one of the first kings of Arcadia. In an effort to gain favor from the god Zeus, Lycaon made a series of increasingly extreme offerings in his honor, culminating in the sacrificing of people, a practice that by then had been long rejected by the gods. When Zeus decided to visit Lycaon in disguise, to try and uncover the truth, he was invited to participate in a banquet that included human flesh. In anger and disgust, Zeus turned Lycaon and his son into wolves as a punishment for what they'd done. It's a short step from here to the mythology of the werewolf as it would later evolve. Crucially, despite the human having turned wolf, it is always maintained that the creature retains something of the human about it, as such when a werewolf kills and eats a human it is ultimately a cannibalistic act. There have been surprisingly many supposedly true tales of werewolves over the years, though perhaps none are more infamous, more wicked or more disturbing than that which appeared in a pamphlet in London in June 1590. The story was brought over by one George Bors, of which there is little known, who is said to have translated it from its original German text, titled The Damnable Life and Death of Stub Peter. It is not for the faint-hearted. It was out in the quiet countryside of West Germany, close to what was then the electorate of Cologne, where it all began. A slain and mutilated sheep carcass is found out in the fields surrounding Eprath, a small community on the outskirts of Bedburg. With its flesh ripped by sharp claws, and its meat torn from the bones by ravenous, sharp-toothed jaws, it was clear that a wolf was now in their midst. Then the sheep, became a cow, but not just one, multiple, all with the same violent injuries. Evidently the wolf was a big one. Then one day, a farmer, while out scything wheat, made a horrifying discovery. A small child's pale, lifeless body, staring up at him from the dirt, its throat and stomach torn open, and its entrails showing the signs of having been feasted on. Some time later, three friends went missing in a nearby forest. As the story goes, two men and a woman were said to have been taking a walk together when one of the men was distracted by someone whispering his name from deep inside the woods. After peeling off from the group to investigate, the man failed to return. When the other man went looking for him, he too failed to return. Suddenly fearing for her life, the woman turned to run, only to find herself being chased by a large fur creature with snarling jaws. Before she could raise the alarm, the creature is said to have pinned her to the ground before raping her and making off with her body. The bodies of the men were later found each with their heads bashed in, but the woman's body was never found. Another time, some children were playing in a field close to a herd of cattle, when a huge wolf-like creature burst out suddenly from some nearby bushes and grabbed one of the children by the neck. As the creature tore wildly at the child's throat, thankfully her stiff and high collar gave her enough time to scream for help. The sound of her screams caused a stampede of the cattle who inadvertently chased the creature away. As news of the terrifying attacks spread through the area people became more vigilant. Patrols even began scouring the countryside with packs of dogs on the hunt for the mysterious, merciless creature that was terrorising their community. It was autumn in 1589 when one such patrol spotted a huge wolf-like creature moving through a distant field. As the dogs chased after it, the men raced to catch up, only to see the strange creature suddenly transform into a man right in front of their eyes. The man was promptly arrested and taken immediately to a prison cell where he was shortly after placed on the rack. With his feet and hands bound, the rack was then steadily turned stretching every sinew in the man's limbs until finally he confessed. The man was 37-year-old Peter Stubb though others have suggested he may in fact have been named Abel Grizzled. Some have also suggested his name was in fact Stumpf, the German word for stump. However, it's possible this was merely a nickname given to him, on account of him apparently only having one hand. Stubb was known to be a relatively wealthy farmer and a widower with two adolescent children. It had all begun when he was 12 years old, he said, Having fantasised about meeting the devil, one day he was granted his wish and in return was given a belt made of wolf fur. From that day on, whenever he put on the belt, he was transformed instantly into a greedy, devouring wolf with a great wide mouth full of sharp and cruel teeth. His body became strong and mighty and his eyes sparkled as though they were made of fire. The moment he removed the belt, he said, he became a man again. His reign of terror had started modestly, with lambs and calves, before graduating to young children and then adults. He did not discriminate. He even confessed to murdering and eating two pregnant women, ripping their fetuses out with his bare hands before devouring them too, eating their hearts as he panted with heat and exhaustion. He confessed also to raping most of his victims and his own daughter. His son was led out to the forest one morning, where Stab then claimed to have bludgeoned him to death before eating the brains right out of his head. All in all, it was said that Stubb killed 16 people and on October 28th, 1589, he was convicted of his crimes. Both his daughter and his girlfriend at the time, a woman named Catherine Trompin, were also convicted alongside him, accused of being accessories to his heinous crimes. They were all sentenced to death. On October 31st, All Hallow's Eve, Trompin and Stubb's daughter were burned alive. For his punishment, Stubb had his body tied to a large wooden wagon wheel. Next, a heavy set of iron pincers were heated up in a fire, before being used to deftly tear ten hunks of flesh from his bones, piece by piece. But this was only the beginning careful not to do so much that he would die or bleed to death, Stubb's torturers then moved on to the axe, not to cut him up, but to use the head of it to break every one of his limbs. With Stubb still clinging on to life, he was then finally beheaded and his body thrown onto the fire and burned to ash. In the days following his execution, a strange monument was constructed comprised of the wheel that Stubb was executed on, as well as 16 yard-long pieces of wood to signify each of the 16 victims he murdered, and in the middle was a large pole on which Stubb's head was placed. A little warning to anyone else who might be planning to make a pact with the devil. Also, George Bohr's 1590 pamphlet says, at least, Today, researchers have speculated that though Peter Stubb may have been real and his execution was real, it's possible his true crime was simply being a Protestant at a time of intense religious rivalry between local Catholic and Protestant factions. Perhaps, as has been suggested, his crimes were simply made up to make an example of him. Others have suggested that Stubb was indeed a murderer but one of a more distinctly human variety whose crimes were later portrayed as being the result of some wicked supernatural act because they were just too appalling to be comprehended in any other way. Or maybe it really was all true. This episode was written by Richard Maclean Smith. Unexplained is an AV Club Productions podcast created by Richard McLean-Smith. All other elements of the podcast, including the music, are also produced by Richard McLean-Smith. Unexplained, the book and audiobook featuring stories that have never before been featured on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, among other bookstores. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast.